Welcome to A Taste of Agile, your favorite podcast where we dish up tasty food debates and appetizing agile topics. I'm Mike on the mic. And I'm Archie. Thanks for joining us. Now let's dig in. Welcome to A Taste of Agile. I'm Mike on the mic with my co-host Archie and two very special guests. We have Jenny Langford and Trisha Hembling. Joining us today to talk about some super cool topics, but before we go too far, I will let them introduce themselves. Trisha, would you like to go first? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, I'm Trisha Hembling. I lead our um, Agile and Product Transformation capability for Solom Detroit, so really focused on how do we bring better ways of working, better ways to thinking about value and the future of our organizations um, in a highly complex, competitive digital world. Um, One of the things we talk a lot about is the slowest pace of change that we're ever going to have is today. And we really need to prepare our leaders, um, our teams, our organizations for everything that's coming at us in the future. Jenny? Hey, everyone. My name is Jenny Linker. I'm product transformation consultant with Solemn Detroit. Echo what, uh, what Trisha said. Very excited to be here speaking with you about this topic today because I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different leaders over the years. And so this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, especially when we think about how leaders act uh, in a transformation. So excited to be here and talk more. And Jenny was already on our show and she did not run away and decided to come back. So I think we're doing okay, <laughs> maybe, or we're being too nice, one of the two. I'm actually surprised I was invited back. So, you know, we we had to really debate that. Um, Archie, anything you want to share before we get going? Uh, The only thing I would add is that I'm excited for this episode. Uh, Our guests today are very highly sought after and not easy to acquire. So we're excited for this. We did have to go through some pretty tall hoops to get things scheduled and recorded. So we appreciate you being here. All right, so I'm super excited for both of our topics. Our main course is your talk at Agile and Beyond, which I had a chance to watch the recording of and have a ton of questions and notes on. But before we do anything productive, we have to talk about a food debate. Um, So today's debate is a very old one for the team that we work on together, but it's a very passionate and heated one that we, we think we kind of initiate people to our group. I have to answer this question. So the question is, is cheesecake a cake or a pie? I will give Trisha the first opportunity <laughs> to respond. And um, I'll go last because I'm pretty proud of my efforts today. So Mike knew the topic ahead of time, so he was able to prepare. But I will say this is a very old topic for our team. We've actually found this to be a really good icebreaker and kind of the the impetus for how we run the podcast is... You know, we like to have a food debate along with some really serious topics, but I have a very strong opinion on this that I've developed over time as I've heard all of the arguments. Um, I am definitely in the cheesecake is either a pie or a tort category. Um, I know tort wasn't one mm. of the options, so I will set that aside for the moment. <laughs> but pies are very distinctive in that they have a shell of some type and you pour a filling into the shell And, you know, that is kind of the composition of a pie. A cake is something you bake that rises and typically does not have any kind of a shell um, and that you often frost. We don't really frost cheesecakes too often. You may have a topping, but not a frosting. So that's my stance on whether a cheesecake is a pie or a cake. And either way, cheesecake is delicious. So I'm, I'm cool with eating it regardless. 
The last part's the most important thing. It is delicious. So as long as we can yep. eat it, I'm cool. Jenny, <laughs> no repeat. So I also. So no repeat of the drive-through <laughs> debate. I'm just going to throw it out there. To start. I have no challenges for the acceptance criteria okay. today. <laughs> I, that being said, I also do have strong feelings on this. I haven't heard the tort response before, and I disagree strongly. The retort? Patricia. This might... <laughs> <laughs> this might be a career limit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I will say, so the first time I ever heard this question, I think I answered wrong, and I will own that. I will say I feel strongly that it's neither a pie or a cake. Pies, as someone who bakes pies and has cried over baking a pie, are in their own category but a cake is not all, it's not something that like a cheesecake is not a cake either. You know, cake is like, there's a very specific combination of things. I am team tart. So a tart is an open pastry case containing a filling. And that is probably the most similar definition of all the definitions. When you think of a cheesecake, having that crust with then something kind of baked on top, it's not exact, but it is the closest definition out there. So I am a team tart for life. You know, we've never gone to like quiche, but I could see an argument for quiche too with some of the ingredients that are involved and the crust piece. Mm. But Jenny, I have a question. So I've baked pies as well, and I, I recognize the challenges. Exactly what part of pie baking has brought tears? <laughs> oh, oh, the crust. That perfect crust oh. where it's flaky in nature. To get that, it basically has to almost be falling apart. Mm -hmm when you put it in the pie shell, uh, as well as if it's a two crust pie on top. Like if you're not crying, you, you do, do the, the fancy basket weave on top and maybe the little leaf decorations. This is a very controversial opinion, but any pie crust that is really excellent, you are not able to do that. Oh. Wow, this We're one some very strong opinions about here. pie crusts. <laughs> so beyond my expertise. Same. I don't even know what's happening right now. I like, to, I like to eat desserts. I, I don't really yes. know how to make them unless they involve espresso, uh, like a like an affogato or something. I mean, that's always solid. But uh, so the topic at hand, I think my bigger issue, so I, I tend to agree with, uh, with some of what Trisha and Jenny said about how the definition is kind of goofy because it does have some things that are like a tart. I can understand uh, it being really closer to a pie. My problem is the name, right? Which is part of this trickiness is there's lack of agreement on it, but I feel like something that says cheesecake, the marketing on that feels like this is definitely a dessert. If you say to me, cheese pie, my brain goes to like a shepherd's <laughs> pie, or like a, this is savory, not for dessert type of situation. And, and like, it doesn't sound like there's meat in it. So I don't really want it for a main course. Uh, but I can't imagine just like crust and cheese. And so that's kind of the problem I have is maybe somewhere in the, who gets to name this thing in the first place is, is maybe more of my, my challenge for the conversation. But I tend to agree it's closer to a tart or a pie. And I 100% agree with Trisha on the fact that I like how it eats, so I'm good either way. Yeah. So it's 2023. I had to go to ChatGPT and get some information <laughs> here, but I'm sad to report that I wasn't impressed with the result <laughs> I got. I'm just glad <laughs> that I tried a new tool. So ChatGPT gave me a very thorough, thorough explanation, and then the answer just left me stumped. Uh, it says, 
Cheesecake is generally considered a cake, despite its name, because it follows the basic structure and preparation methods of cakes. It is made with a crust at the bottom, yada, 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 with a creamy filling, primarily from stuff. The mixture is unbaked and cooled before serving. While the term cheesecake includes the word cake, its consistency and preparation make it distinct from traditional pies. Pies, on the other hand, have a filling and clothes and pastry dough, and they can be either sweet or savory. Despite the similarities in some aspects, cheesecake falls into the category of cakes in the culinary world. Did you ask ChatGPT if think- it was drinking? During this time, <laughs> that's kind of what it sounded. It sounded like a uh, a political debate answer. Like I just got walked <laughs> in circles. I think it just contradicted itself in almost every sentence. It did. I, it the did. problem it that did. I have is that clearly the AI has never tasted a cheesecake. No. So why could True. we really <laughs> listen to it on this topic? I think that's really well, a core. It also gave a me. complete non-answer and uh, basically all the things <laughs> and none of the things. It's like the TV show Lost. It just it answers one question and asks two new ones every time. So I did find an article oh, yeah. on I think it was like southernchef.com or something like that, and it called it a hybrid, which I thought was a very good answer. It talked about similar things, but it used the term hybrid, which. I'm a car person, so I think that struck a chord with me. So I, I like the word hybrid. Yeah, so it uses hydrogen and gas. That's fair. Yeah, definitely. Plug in. It's probably a plug-in as well. Probably. <laughs> Honestly, in, in the, uh, I think, three-plus years we've been asking this question on our team of every new person that joined, I don't think anybody's used that answer, the hybrid answer. Mm-mm. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a good one. That, that um, the... Generative AI let me down, but the chef answer really helped me out. So (laughs) I'm going to use hybrid from now on. All right. Well, if you have opinions on that, please reach out to us, mainly if they're the right opinion and you agree with us, but we'll take wrong opinions too. So let's get into our actual topic of the day, which is your great talk at Agile and Beyond. I'm glad I had a chance to at least do the recording um, but the title made me feel a little defensive before I, I watched the talk because I consider myself a leader sometimes. Um, the title is, Are Leaders the Biggest Threat to Realizing the Benefits of Your Transformation? Um, so I felt like, what am I doing wrong before I even heard the talk? Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about it or a summary? And then I have some, I have a lot of follow-up questions to it, but just tell us about the talk. Yeah, I think Jenny and I are both working on a large transformation, the same large transformation right now. And, you know, if I kind of reflect back on what we're seeing there and the consistencies of what I've seen in the past, um, you know, there's definitely an aspect of whether you're successful or whether you fail is how much the leadership recognizes that this is not a change. It's about individual contributors or a change at the team level. Um, Yes, you have to do that. But if you really want to get the benefits that you kind of see professed on different websites and studies and surveys and things like that, those organizations that got that huge level of success also changed the way that they're organized to organize around value. They changed their leadership styles to decentralized decision-making, to um, make it a safe space to fail fast. I mean, these are all kind of things you hear all the time, but they're really true. And more often than not, there's, if I work with executives, they think it's everybody but them. 
and their different leadership levels and different organizations are like, oh yeah, yeah, I totally bought in and my team, my leaders are going to support this. But then when we talk about, we find problems with the way that they're leading that are limiting their success or potentially destroying kind of the whole culture or have, building a culture that prevents agility, prevents kind of a product mindset, they're, they're unwilling to change or unwilling to even see that in themselves. So I think we do need to be honest with ourselves. I have to be honest with myself as a leader and reflect on how I how my actions or inactions or even phrasing impacts the folks on my team and whether they feel like they're free to be their best or be able to achieve the most or they have everything that they need. So our talk was really about that and really focusing on kind of a middle management level and a little bit more the executive level and, and how these types of transformations impact them in a really real way and how different behaviors that they uh, take on during the transformation or or things they change or don't change actually can have really big, far-reaching ramifications. Anything you'd add to that, Jenny? I think for me to echo all the sentiments that Trisha said, for me, one of the things that I thought was so interesting about digging deep into this topic is I've been on both sides. I've been part of an organization that was going through a transformation. It was earlier on in my career, and I kind of saw the the times when there were leaders that weren't as aligned and weren't saying the right things. And now being on the other side, really helping an organization through a transformation, it was really interesting to me to ask this kind of provocative question around, are the people that sometimes are even the ones that are starting the transformation saying it should be something that's happening without even realizing it are sometimes those individuals, the ones that are actually preventing the the value that can be realized from actually occurring. So I just really thought it was an interesting topic to dig into. I also think it's something that is pretty far reaching. I think a lot of people uh, probably see this even without realizing. You know, one of the interesting things for me in doing this talk live, which was amazing and having a, a big, a pretty big audience, I think we had 40 to 50 people in the audience, um, is the head nods and the recognition of the people, the personas that we were talking about and, you know, it was really real for people and we got a ton of interaction more than I have in most talks in like a conference type setting. Usually people are a little bit apprehensive to kind of jump in and we definitely wanted it to be interactive and, and people definitely saw their leaders in, in what we were talking about and some were vulnerable and saw themselves and even made some comments about things that they were going to change based on, you know, kind of hearing it in this forum, you know, what is kind of having that framed up as the impact that they're having versus, oh, you should be leading in a different way. Because we actually kind of pointed out like the impact you're having by things that you may think are pretty benign. I'm glad you mentioned the persona approach because I think that really helped me remember and just connect with the content. I think that's why people had such strong feelings or connected. I know that's Mm -hmm. what helped me. Um, but the persona that I really dug into and most of my questions are, is about Mark. <laughs> so if you could explain who Mark is, and then I'll go to more questions later, but I really did like that persona part. So just, um, who is Mark exactly? Yeah. So I can give a little bit of information. So what, what we did as part of the talk is we did define kind of two main personas, middle manager, Mark, and then executive head man. And let's be clear, these are not real people. 
but they are absolutely based in the real people that we have interacted, you know, through our time spent in transformation. So there is not a Mark, but there are people like Mark that do exist. Uh, so the persona of Mark is an individual who is really proud of where they have gotten in their organization. This individual is about 28 to 35 years old, probably has a degree in business or CS, MIS, whatever it's called. Um, they're really proud about the fact that their management has kind of helped pave the way for them to move up in their organization. So they have had a couple promotions. They're kind of continuing to move up in their career and very proud about the fact that they've done that. And one of the things that has come with those promotions that they've received is one of the ways that they measure their success is in the number of individuals that they have reporting to them and the amount of budget that they're responsible for. This is a really common thing that we see a lot is that the people, the budget that they're responsible for, the span of control is something that a lot of middle managers are very proud about. And they've worked a lot of their career to get to that point. And so when it happens, they're very proud. Uh, these individuals are also typically very proud of being able to find ways to deliver on time, make things work no matter what the constraints and uh, what's going on. And in a lot of cases, they've become the go-to person on a specific topic. So they've worked their career to really get to the place they are now. And in some instances, they've learned a specific tool, a specific metric, some sort of skill set that they can be seen as the go-to for it. And they also take pride when someone comes to them and asks them a question about that. So really someone proud about where they are and who has accomplished a lot in their career also someone who is looking to continue to elevate in their career and move up further into the organization. So what's the biggest, because a lot of people might hear that and be like, well, that sounds like they're doing good. They're getting promoted. Uh, they're in charge of people and stuff and money. So what, what are some of the challenges when there might be a mark involved in a transformation? So I think the, the challenge for Mark is how Mark fits into the new world. Um, you know, he's finally reached a point in his career where he's kind of got that gut feel of things are going well or we're on the right track or I've built these relationships that are going to catapult me forward. And now Mark finds himself in a world where we're taking away those things that were comforting to him, that helped him know that he was doing a good job, that his team was doing a good job. You know, that some of those structures, when we move from kind of a more traditional more command and control style leadership to more, you know, servant leadership and decentralized decision-making, it's a whole new set of muscles. And when you move from more traditional metrics, um, the things that used to be your leading indicators for how things were going are all different now in Agile. We use a different set of metrics. We have a different set of things that we care about. There's a lot more flexibility. Um, it's all about being able to react to change and make sure we're building the right thing at the right time versus just chunking through a set of requirements. It's a whole new muscle. And so now you took someone who finally gotten comfortable and felt like he could kind of stretch and take on new things. And we take away a lot of the things that made him comfortable. And the other thing is, if you think about even all the scaled agile frameworks, none of them have a middle manager role. It doesn't mean these people aren't valuable, but there's nothing spelled out for him. You know, we're going through a transformation where he's seeing everybody else having a role, including some of his leaders. But he's feeling like, I don't, there isn't a role for me. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what it feels like. So frankly, he's in probably the most uncomfortable position. 
And when we look at the transformation, he's also in a position to, whether consciously or unconsciously, kind of throw the most roadblocks in front of your transformation. Um, because he's not comfortable, he, but he does have a lot of, of clout in the organization and respect. Um, he knows how everything works. So, you know, it's, it's a tough place to be. So how? A lot of times too. Go ahead, Daddy. Sorry, Mike. I just gonna say, <laughs> a lot of times as well with Mark, one of the things, the problems is, is they perceive that losing control is something that, you know, is a negative to them in their career. Yeah. So while, you know, while a transformation is happening and they're going through the process of this, that loss of control is something that they perceive as happening, whether true or not. And that makes them nervous and ends up making them do things, again, whether intended or not, that are in a way against whatever the goals of the transformation or the work you're doing are. And so without meaning to they're actually ending up being someone that's working against what others are trying to do. I feel like we're really bashing on Mark <laughs> and we're, we're changing his world. Like we're making things tough on him. So if you feel like you're a Mark, how can you help or how can you get out of that? Or maybe you work with someone who's a Mark, how can you help Mark or how do you take advantage of maybe some of the, the strengths that they do have? I think the first thing for Mark is sometimes when you're dealing with someone that's like a Mark, you have to share what's in it for them. So, you know, one of the things that uh, oftentimes happens when organizations are changing the way that they're working is an organization is set up in a way where over time and historically they have certain goals and certain things that individuals are held to. And so helping to translate some of those goals, the things that a Mark is working towards into ways that, you know, Mark is now working towards the success of what you're all trying to achieve and then painting it in a light where he understands what is in it for him. That's something that's really going to resonate with a Mark. They really still want to continue doing their best work, but sometimes when they don't understand where they fit into that best work, that's where the problem is. So making sure that, the goals that the organization is working towards are rolling up, you know, to the whole organization, but also that the individual goals that a Mark and all the others have are aligned to those is going to be really important in making Mark feel comfortable about what the transformation is doing. I think the other things that, that's important, not just for Mark, but for everybody in a transformation is reinforcing the positive behaviors. So not necessarily doubling down on, well, you shouldn't do all the these things that you've been doing, but um, helping to coach them on having some empathy for them, help, being intentional about where they should start, what the journey looks like. And then also just like you would do with a team that had a success, a new agile team that would have a success. We need to treat Mark the same way and celebrate his successes, even if it's small things that are incrementing towards a new leadership style. You know, how do we make sure we're rewarding the right things and, and not celebrating the, the wrong things like a heroics or thing, things that are kind of leaning back to old ways of working or, you know, being super punitive when he isn't behaving exactly how we'd expect it when he doesn't have those tools yet. So it's, it's about education, empathy, intentionality, and um, reinforcement. Yeah, that's really good, Tricia, because it's, it's so much easier to build the culture and kind of the environment that you want through encouraging those things that are going in the right direction than it is to 
do any of the the negative. And it's just like the, uh, you know, if you're familiar with like the um, growth mindset, uh, our, our brain does not visualize don't. It only visualizes actual things. And so if we say don't, it's like, like with my kids, it doesn't work. If I say don't run in the house, they're like, I'm running in the house. And if, if I say, can you walk, please? They're like, uh, maybe. Like, <laughs> so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, but encouraging that behavior uh, is is a much more effective way to kind of reinforce and build that culture. So um, that's really good. Yeah, I like the connection to we don't expect people on a team or a whole team to change overnight. So it's not really fair to expect Mark to change overnight either. And it's all about a system where they can be successful or just being human about it and being empathetic. I doubt Mark comes to work to blow up the transformation or to make it a failure. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, but you don't want to go in with thinking anyone has negative intentions. So I like connecting it to how, the same way we would treat a team. Um, there's one other question I had, and I wrote this down, and I had to make sure there is a term called messy middle. And I'm pretty sure that's not like I have a system when I make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, there has to be peanut <laughs> butter on both sides of the bread and then the jelly so that the bread doesn't get messy. That's not what that's referring to. I'm pretty sure. But can we talk about the mess? I mean, it could be. I mean, it could be, but I don't think anyone's ever phrased it that way. I think it's something. Yeah, the messy. Go ahead, Trisha. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of what we alluded to earlier. You know, it's it's the area that's not as defined by a framework. Um, there are patterns for kind of executive leaderships in the age of digital leadership in the age of digital. There are frameworks for how we organize teams. There are whole organizations that are focused on how do we think about value and value streams and how those impact the organization. There really isn't much out there on what about all these people in the middle that have a ton of knowledge. They're super valuable. And the roles still exist. We still need to run our business. We still need to develop people. We still need to develop capability in the organization. And how do they fit in? Um, so I think that's why it gets messy. It's because we, as a community, have not really defined the space really well. And part of that, I think, is intentional. Every organization is going to be different. They have different needs, different you know, styles of working, you know, things like that. And I think that's okay, but I think we need to recognize it as part of the transformation is we need to make sure we're intentional about those folks because they're incredibly important to the success of your organization. Yeah, and if you take what Trisha just said and, and you combine that with the fact that when you think about a transformation, that middle later is where things end up getting lost, not by design, but just by what's happening, right? Typically, you know, leaders at the top are if not fully aligned, are the ones that are driving the transformation, right? So they're getting information about it. In a lot of cases, they're actively engaged. But what ends up happening is at that middle layer, that's where things tend to start breaking down a bit. And again, not by design, just because of the fact that if these leaders are the ones that are defining what you're we're doing and working on a daily basis towards it, sometimes information isn't funneling down to those individuals that are in the middle more. So when you combine that with what Trisha just mentioned around there not being these clear definitions for that group, not having those definitions and not having information funneling down to those individuals really can make things very messy there. And it honestly is why that group probably needs more focus than anyone when you're going through a transformation and trying to do 
uh, you know, something with an organization where you're creating new ways of working because that group can make it or break it for an organization, absolutely. So really important to remember that that group needs to be focused on when doing work like this. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that and making sure I, I wanted validation on my peanut butter sandwich method, but also needed some clarification on the messy middle too, in terms of a transformation. Um, well, thanks for talking about your talk. Uh, we will have the link to the recording of it and all the talks that Sam presented at Agile and Beyond. So hopefully people check it out and hopefully this is prompting people to think about maybe a mark they work with or something that it, um, characteristics that they display. But there are other personas that Trisha and Jenny talk through um, at Agile and Beyond in their talk. So feel free to check it out reach out to us with questions or if you'd like to engage um, more on what they shared. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks, Archie, as always. Appreciate it. You have been listening to A Taste of Agile. Thanks for joining us. If you have questions, feedback, or comments on anything we covered today, reach out to Mike Henry or Archie Woods on LinkedIn or our email, detroit at slalom.com. See you next time.